X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Emily Gilliland from Portland, Oregon. It's Friday, April 16th. Today, back in the day, on April 16th, 1968, the gates of the brand new John Day Dam were closed for the first time. Following the initial closure of the dam, it took less than two days for the 76-mile-long Lake Umatilla to fill to a depth of over 100 feet. The dam closure flooded the original foundations of the Oregon towns of Arlington, Blaylock, and Boardman, as well as the Washington towns of Roosevelt and Plymouth. Long-term river navigation hazards, including the Indian Rapids, the John Day Upper, Middle, and Lower Rapids, and Squally Hook were eliminated with the newest damming of the Lower Columbia River. It also flushed out wild goose nesting grounds and incalculable, priceless Native American stone carvings in the process. Today, back in the day, on April 16, 1963, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. penned Letter from Birmingham Jail would go on to be widely published and become a central document to the American Civil Rights Movement. Dr. King stated in the open letter that people have a moral responsibility to break unjust laws and take direct action rather than hoping endlessly for justice to descend from a courtroom. Letter from Birmingham Jail was a response to a call for unity another open letter written by eight white Birmingham clergy members in response to local civil rights demonstrations. While a call for unity acknowledged the existence of racial injustices, it called for justice to come from the courts rather than on the streets. In response to the authors of a call for unity, Dr. King argued as an African-American minister and activist against the systematic oppression of Black people throughout the United States. Citing legal, political, and historical examples, Dr. King used many persuasive techniques to reach the hearts and minds of his audience. Quote, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Anyone who lives inside the United States can never be considered an outsider anywhere within its bounds. Dr. King's letter was a powerful defense for the tactics and goals of the Birmingham campaign and the greater American civil rights movement nationwide. On today's episode, we're going to start with your quick six news headlines. And we have an interview with Taylor Lowen from recycling company Ridwell. X-ray. First up, it's time for today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. A big thanks to our lead writer, Nebraska Lucas, today. Multnomah County Commissioner Sharon Myron said the Portland police have exposed children to chemical weapons. Myron arranged a press conference on Monday to discuss her concerns about PPD's excessive use of tear gas and chemical munitions. She was especially fearful of how tear gas exposure affects residential neighborhoods and schools. Myron also said, quote, It is so troubling to me that chemical weapons have become a routine response to protest rather than an extraordinary measure taken only in the gravest of circumstances. Oregonians have repeatedly begged Portland police to curtail their use of tear gas due to the harm of its effects. 
tear gas most readily causes coughing, bleeding, blindness, and crying, but it also can trigger asthma attacks and even miscarriages. The long-term effects of tear gas exposure, especially on children, are relatively unknown. On Monday, Commissioner Myron joined a group of parents and school officials who once again pleaded with the Portland Police Department to stop using tear gas and other chemical munitions. They voiced their concern for the children of the Cottonwood School of Civics and Science, located in South Portland. The school, which reopened on Monday, is directly across the street from an ICE facility. Months of police using chemical munitions against protesters has littered the school's playground with pepper balls. School staff refused to reopen the playground out of fear that a child might swallow or choke on a munition. Kate Sheriff, a mother of a Cottonwood student, said she was concerned about allowing her child to come back to school. She said, quote, It's really, really scary to see the videos of all the munitions being used and know that that's not just the visible things that we can see and pick up on the playground, not just the pepper balls and the exploded and unexploded munitions, but all of the chemicals that we see that are being gassed out and that are soaking into the school. And now for your daily dose of data. On Thursday, the Oregon Health Authority reported 733 new confirmed cases of the coronavirus. That brings the total number of cases to 172,931. The OHA also reported six new COVID-related deaths, which brings the total Oregon death toll to 2,455. The OHA reported on Thursday that they were able to test 49 houseless people through a mobile testing lab. The report is part of a broader initiative to build trust with houseless communities and make COVID testing more accessible. Throughout March, the OHA focused their efforts on a neighborhood in St. John's known as The Cut. Mahira Christian, an OHA regional testing coordinator, said, quote, There was a lot of fear and mistrust. We work with community partners who know and serve the community to help connect with sensitivity and compassion. In particular, the OHA worked alongside the Portland People's Outreach Project, or PPOP. The PPOP visits the cut on a weekly basis. They have a specific meeting site where people can come to find clean syringes, socks, food, and other supplies. Throughout March, OHA staff, with help of the PPOP, connected with people living in the cut and were able to spread the word about a testing event. 49 people were able to get tested in just two hours, and all tested negative. The OHA hopes to continue offering testing to houseless communities in the coming months. Governor Kate Brown responded to concerns about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. All 50 states have currently paused distribution of the vaccine amid reports of rare but serious blood clots. Six women, ranging in age from 18 to 48, developed blood clots after their doses. One of these cases was fatal. But on Wednesday, Governor Brown assured Oregonians that the vaccine was safe. She said, quote, I am one of six million Americans that had gotten the Johnson & Johnson vaccination, and I'm incredibly grateful to have protection from COVID. I think the pause was done here in Oregon and across the country as an abundance of caution. 
Governor Brown likely made the announcement in anticipation of an impending COVID surge. On Wednesday, the OHA reported 816 new cases, which is the highest daily number in over two months. Governor Brown said she was concerned with the rise, but wouldn't initiate another lockdown until Oregon reached 300 hospitalizations. She did, however, encourage people to get vaccinated as quickly as possible. On Monday, every person over the age of 16 will be eligible for a vaccine. Former trailblazer LaMarcus Aldridge announced his retirement. He said he was concerned about an irregular heartbeat. Aldridge made the announcement on Twitter and said, quote, For 15 years, I've put basketball first, and now it is time to put my health and family first. Aldridge's career was plagued with numerous injuries. He first reported an irregular heartbeat on March 31, 2007, during a game against the L.A. Clippers. Aldridge was promptly taken to Providence Hospital after experiencing both an irregular heartbeat and shortness of breath. He was later diagnosed with Parkinson-White syndrome, which is an issue that affects the electrical system of the heart. Aldridge began his career in Portland in 2006. He missed the first seven games of his first season as a blazer due to a shoulder surgery. But once he returned to the court, he made up for lost time almost immediately. Despite a series of injuries, Aldridge became the starting center in March of 2007. While with the Blazers, he placed second on the franchise's all-time scoring list and was the Blazers' all-time leader in rebounds in 2015. In July of 2015, Aldridge ended his career with the Blazers and signed a contract with the San Antonio Spurs. But his time in Portland has earned him the title of a Blazer for life. On Thursday, TriMet officials reported that they will receive 1,000 COVID vaccines next week from the state. They will begin vaccinating bus operators, mechanics, and other frontline workers using mobile vaccine clinics. TriMet officials expect to receive additional vaccines in the coming weeks, which will be necessary given their staff consists of over 3,300 employees. But some TriMet workers are frustrated with the state and specifically with Governor Kate Brown. Employees first began requesting vaccine months ago. They repeatedly sent Governor Brown letters detailing the stress and fear they were under as frontline workers with no protection. TriMet sent an initial letter on January 15th. They continued to write to Governor Brown over the course of months but received no response. Krista Cordova, a labor relations coordinator with the Amalgamated Transit Union Local 757, described workers' frustrations. She said, quote, The rest of us have the luxury of being able to take precautions. Bus operators don't have that luxury. To not give them vaccine priority was a crazy decision. As of Thursday, TriMet was aware of at least 90 employees who had tested positive since the beginning of the pandemic. Meanwhile, TriMet's board of directors pointed out that vaccinating bus operators alongside the general public would help curb transmission rates. According to the board, quote, when the pandemic finally subsides and life takes the slow turn back towards normalcy, more riders will start riding again, and TriMet will be an important player in returning the economy to solid footing. And some good news. It's almost Earth Day. On Thursday, April 22nd, Oregonians can celebrate the 51st annual Earth Day. 
The first Earth Day began in 1970 by Wisconsin Senator Gaylord Nelson. At the time, Nelson was disturbed to see how few people seemed to care about the environment. He was especially frustrated by the lack of political interest in the environment. So he started Earth Day with the goal to bring greater awareness to the need for environmental protections. His plan worked. A few years later, Earth Day contributed to the formation of the Clean Water and Clean Air Acts. If you're interested in finding a socially distanced way to celebrate Earth Day this year, try spending the day outside at one of Oregon's national parks, beaches, or Sovies Island. Solve Oregon also hosts an annual Earth Day cleanup. You can check their website for more information. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray. Now we will hear from Taylor Lowen from recycling company Ridwell. She spoke with host Christine Alexander about the reality and future of recycling. Good morning. I'm Christine Alexander. You're listening to X-Ray in the Morning on X-Ray FM. That was Elvis Costello watching the detectives. And uh, my guest now is Taylor Lowen. She is the general manager at Ridwell here in Portland. Good morning, Taylor. Good morning, Christine. Happy to be here. Oh, glad to have you because this is this is a really great uh, subject. We've, we've been talking about environmental issues a lot this morning, and um, I was fascinated by Ridwell when I went online and checked it out. Can you just explain to our listeners what exactly is Ridwell? Sure. So, Ridwell is an innovative reuse and recycling service that offers our members a solution to keep all of their household trash out of the local landfill and really help to fight climate change. Um, Essentially, we do twice a month pickups directly at our members' doors and really work to empower our members to waste less. Um, So we go to their houses every two weeks. We pick up four core categories every time. We pick up their light bulbs, their batteries, all of that plastic film you can't recycle, the Amazon mailers and bubble wrap and grocery bags, and then any used clothing they have, including old shoes, clothes that have holes in them. They go to a great place called Pioneer Wiping Cloth locally and are actually turned into clean rags. Um, And in addition to those four core categories, we have add-ons and different things we can do. So we have a rotating category every two weeks that goes to local nonprofits. Uh, For example, we dropped off 160 boxes of children's books to Children's Books Bank locally here in Portland, uh, which is going to help all their summer programming. And before that, it was kitchenware for Community Warehouse that helps underserved communities here. Uh, we also have add-ons like styrofoam, so you don't have to drive all the way to Tiger to, for the one location we can drive it off. We work with Agilex on that. So it really is just to help members take all the things that are hard to recycle and get them out of their house. That is brilliant. That is brilliant. I was so excited to see this because... We've all got a pile uh, in our closet or in our garage or, you know, of things that we mean to recycle and we can't quite allow ourselves to throw them away. But we also don't want to take the time to go to a special recycling center or, you know, just don't know what to do with it. So this is a fantastic service. Um, So so uh, again, like we get our standard trash collection services and we've got a recycling bin. But there are a whole bunch of things we're not allowed to put in that. So what kinds of things can people recycle through Ridwell again? Yeah, so, you know, this is meant to complement curbside recycling. Essentially, we take all the things that are recyclable, but kind of hard to recycle. And so that's why it's not done at a citywide level. 
Um, you know, the rude wall actually came about because the CEO, Ryan Metzger, was just trying to get rid of some old batteries in his house. And I feel like that really resonates with Ridwell members because on their first pickup, they usually have this cache of batteries that they've just been saving up and they don't know what to do with. And after calling three or four places, you know, it just took forever to even find a place to safely dispose his battery. So then he asked his neighbors, hey, does anybody else have batteries? I'm driving out to go do this. And his neighbors contributed. And then next he was looking at things like broken holiday lights. He found a great partner that can reuse the wire and, uh, you know, things like plastic film. And he asked his neighbors and he kind of made a recycling carpool among his neighborhood that even expanded beyond his neighborhood. And then he thought, I think there's a business here. You know, there's a lot of people who are holding on to these things. So we help members, you know, on an ongoing basis in a year. We do all types of fun featured categories, everything from all those wine corks people probably have because it's COVID and they're at home. To, uh, <laughs> what about all those bottles? Yeah. All those bottles, right? So, you know, I had four pairs of old eyeglasses with, with, uh, previous past uh, prescriptions, but you feel bad throwing them away. So people have all these things. So we're, you know, we get um, old diapers if your kids outgrown their potty training phase. We got those to PDX Diaper Bank. We work on getting linens and toiletries and things to transition projects these next two weeks, which is helps homeless people in the community. So, you know, it's that ongoing basis. You have those batteries, light bulbs, plastic film, and clothing. And then there's just an ongoing rotation of other categories we help people get rid of. And we just launched fluorescent light tubes uh, for all of our zones too, which are the, you know, those huge light bulbs that are really hard to get rid of. And so we help our members by just making wasting less easier. <laughs> making wasting less easier. Uh, that's great. Uh, you know, it's interesting because, um, when I think about, uh, so when people throw these things out normally, where would they go? I mean, I, I know you, you probably would say this, but, but I think about, okay, if I've got to recycle paint, I don't know if you even do paint, but uh, like, or batteries, I've got to drive, I've got to gather them together, get in the car, drive to this place, drop them off and drive home. So there's, a, there's like that carbon footprint idea of how much are those little trips taking countered against the idea of a service like yours that's sort of combining that carbon footprint with people all across Portland. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we're not doing anything really special or unique. Um, as on an individual basis, you could go and drive your styrofoam to one location, your batteries to another, and your light bulbs to another, and your clothing to one place, and your corks. But for an individual family, that's a lot of time and effort and driving, and, and as you pointed out, a pretty large carbon footprint. Um, additionally, it would be hard to have those one-on-one -on -one connections with so many nonprofits to link up what they need with what you might have in your home. You may not be thinking about your children's books going to Children's Book Bank and making an appointment and dropping things off as one of the things in your house. Um, so we, by, by doing this in an aggregate basis, we're able to just deliver a larger community impact for all of our local partners here. And we really do, uh, we prioritize being local. We're looking with local partners, domestic recyclers. We wanna have uh, a local impact here in Portland. Well, are you thinking of going nationwide or is it just, you just concentrating on Portland for now? So we, we launched initially in Seattle. That's where our first oh. place uh, at Ridwell. And so this is their first expansion, which is very exciting. We started um, in Portland in December and we already have almost 6,000 members, uh, but with Seattle and Portland combined, there's about almost 24,000 members. So you have to think about that collective impact. Last year, Ridwell helped divert over a million pounds from the landfill. Um, and 900,000 of that was just plastic. Wow. And so it's just a, a big impact. So I think, you know, 
the enthusiasm is palpable among people in Portland and Seattle, and we're hoping to bring this easy solution to other cities. Uh, that is a goal of ours. I'm speaking with Taylor Lowen. She is the general manager at Ridwell here in Portland. And as she said, they do have the service in Seattle. So I got to ask the the uh, $857 question. Is this service expensive? Yeah, it's a great question. So our service ranges uh, from 12 to $16 a month, depending on what plan you sign up for. So you sign up for an annual plan, you're paying $12 a month for us to come directly to your doorstep twice a month and take all these items away for you. Wow. I love I think this of it as like a Chipotle burrito with extra guac once a month. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see. I have some other questions down here. So um, do, do you have any sense so far of the environmental impact of Ridwell so far? Is there you know, any way I, to, I to gauge it, the impact you're having? I think, you know, when we talk about poundage out of the landfill, that's what I think of when I think about the environmental impact. When we think about in 2020 alone, over a million pounds diverted from the landfill. And that would have all gone to our local landfills, you know, in Washington and in Oregon. Um, and so with our growing membership base, we're hoping to do much more than that in 2021. And you mentioned latex paint earlier. We're hoping to figure out latex paint. We have, we're trying to expand on our service. Um, exponentially over the next few months by looking at can we help solve the clamshell issue? It's one thing we're working on that we're hearing from a lot of members here in Portland. And so, you know, we when you think about all the things we can potentially divert as we grow and expand, I think that absolutely it has a pretty phenomenal impact on, on just not having all those items go into our water systems, our waste stream systems, our landfills. Um, people can feel good when they're working with Ridwell knowing that we are only working with domestic vetted recyclers and that their items are going to be sustainably reused or recycled. Because most people don't realize that half of that, well, I don't know the exact number, but half that stuff you put in your recycling bin gets thrown away by the some of the recycling services anyway. Is that is that true? Yeah, you know, I think often the with curbside recycling, the programs are constantly shifting and consumers get confused. It's not always clear to them. And so they end up accidentally putting things in the recycling bin that they think are recyclable. And in turn, it contaminates their whole bin and contaminates the rest of the recycling. So, you know, I, I think that education is definitely a big part of recycling when it comes to systems. Um, what's nice about Ridwell is that our process is a little bit different in curbside recycling. Our members pre-sort their items. Every bin gets five bags. So they're already putting their light bulbs in one bag, their batteries in another, their clothing in one, their plastic in one. So they pre-sort and then we vet in our facility. Um, and it, it's great because we get our revenue from our members, not necessarily, we're not relying on any money we make off recycling. So we're able to optimize what we're giving to our partners. And our recycling partners called Trex. All of the plastic film we get is made into composite decking and lumber. Uh, a lot of that's used Trex. actually here in Oregon. I've Trex, worked with yeah. Trex before. They're yeah. fantastic. So that we have a less than one percent contamination rate with Trex. You know, we really are getting them items that are going to go directly into being reused and recycled, uh, turned into new things. Like you said, decking. I, I've installed Trex decks before, and that is a uh, um, synthetic material made from. Uh, recyclables apparently yep uh, i didn't know it was from recycled material but that's fantastic my guest has been taylor lowen she is the general manager at with ridwell here in portland taylor if people want to find out more about your service where can they go they can go to ridwell.com 
Um, there's all the information you can put in your zip code to see if we already have service there. We're in most of the Portland metro area. Uh, we actually just launched in Milwaukee last week, which Yay. is exciting. We're That's my now in Beaverton. That's your neighborhood? Yeah. Fantastic. You can sign up for Ritaball then. Uh, <laughs> and we're hoping to be in all the Portland suburbs here in the next few months. Thanks for joining us, Taylor Lowen from Ridwell. Have a great day and thanks for your service. Thanks to Taylor for joining the local and a special thanks to our production team, executive editor Will Romy, supporting editors and writers John Collier, Nebraska Lucas, Joey McClone, Brian Miller, Carlos Molina, Julia Oppenheimer, Carly Quadros, Miranda Selinger, Ryder Sherwood, and Sam Smargiazzi. Thanks for original journalism and research by the Lund Report, Oregon Health Authority, COVID19.health.org, Oregon Historical Society, Portland Mercury, Portland Tribune, Portland Business Journal, KGW, The Willamette Week, Coin, Pamphlet Media, OPB, K2, The Oregonian, Statesman Journal, Bike Portland, and our news partners, Street Roots, The Portland Mercury, and Eater Portland. Thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in just about 30 minutes. And thank you, Democracy. We'll talk to you Monday. Thanks, Ryan.